Our reading is taken from the beginning of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. If you're using the church Bible, as I am, um, you'll find that on page 1168. And for the benefit of the recording, we're using the new international version. From Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really isn't a gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach such a gospel other than the one that we preached to you originally, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. Uh, Let us pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we do thank you that the gospel is revealed to us by Jesus Christ. And we do pray now that what I preach is the gospel, that uh, it is your words that come, come out of my mouth. And that as we look at this passage together, we understand what the gospel means. And that you'd call us to live in the grace of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, last month, um, four former hostages came together for the first time since they were freed at different times two years ago. And the BBC radio programme held hostage in Syria. This is the four guys. They described their, their year of torment at the hands of ISIS. They went months without sunlight, weeks chained together, days upon days of beatings, There was little food, so much longing for clean clothes, a proper toilet, and most of all, freedom. This is what one of them, a French journalist called Didier Francois, said. He said, the difficult thing when you lose your freedom is that there are no rules. You are outside the rule of law. The guards are the ones who make the decisions, and you've lost all your control. So the only thing you can keep for yourself is your dignity. 
You have to understand that all they, ha- they all had one objective, to keep us under their thumb. There were no nice guards or good guards. All of them were bad. Freedom is, of course, something we value. It's something that our, our fathers, our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers fought for, for us to enjoy in this country, to be able to live our lives as we, we like. And as we start this new sermon series in, in Galatians, uh, if you were to sum up the main theme of the letter, it probably would be freedom, the freedom of the gospel. Of course, the question is, what does that freedom look like? If we're Christians here this morning, what have we been freed from? If you're someone here this morning who's not a Christian, you might think, well, actually becoming a Christian, surely that is giving up your freedom. If there was one verse that summed up the uh, the message of uh, Galatians, it's probably this verse that we have for the week. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The letter reminds uh, the readers of the freedom they have in the gospel. And it warns them about the risk of giving that up and returning to a life of slavery. If we've not experienced freedom in Christ, then we will, in, in some way or another, be slaves to something or someone else. We don't have complete freedom over our actions. There are things that we do that we wish we didn't do. There are things we don't do which we wish we had done. And that tension doesn't completely disappear as a, as a Christian. But the freedom comes from being forgiven and the fact that sin has lost its power over us. Well, we'll keep coming back to that theme over the course of this series, but let's just look at the context in which this letter was written. It was written by the Apostle Paul around about 50 AD, so 15 to 20 years after the death of Christ. And Paul has spent much of that time traveling throughout the region, uh, making his missionary journeys, proclaiming the gospel, and planting churches wherever he went. If we look at this um, map, these are um, his uh, missionary journeys. And um, Galatia, the churches in Galatia to which this letter is written, uh, you'll find around uh, this area here. This is all modern-day Turkey, if you want to try and put that in today's uh, perspective. So those churches are the churches of Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, which we read about in, in, in Acts. This letter is quite different from other letters that Paul has written, if you've noticed just how that was read by, by Martin just now, because having dispensed with the, the greetings, um, Paul very quickly comes in with a rebuke in verse 6, and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. He's critical of um, Christians who are either consciously or subconsciously turning their backs, not just on the gospel, but on Jesus himself. And he's critical of those who are leading these new believers astray. His false teachers were attacking the gospel and Paul's authority. And so the letter is a defense of the gospel. It's a defense of Paul's authority. And it's a reminder of the sufficiency of the gospel, that there is no need for anything else to be saved. And you may ask, well, how can I trust Paul? How do I know what Paul is saying is the gospel? 
If Jesus was saying it, yes, he's the son of God, I accept that. Some of you may even have a Bible with Jesus' words in red to stand out. Nothing wrong with that, but it, somehow it almost elevates the words of Jesus above the other words of the Bible as if they were somehow more authoritative. Because the whole of the Bible is the word of God. Paul, as he introduces himself for the beginning of this letter, has a unique divine authority as an apostle. Now that word apostle really just means somebody who's sent. But the original 12 apostles had a special authority. They were the ones who were personally chosen, who were called and commissioned by Jesus Christ, and they were authorized to teach in his name. There was no sort of apostolic succession, as some might think, but just an acceptance of the teaching of the apostles. So Paul was one of the apostles, as it says here, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's not been appointed by a group of men, such as the twelve apostles or the church of Jerusalem. He hasn't got um, the required majority of 75% of the church members meeting to be an apostle. No, he's been called by God. And the words of Paul are therefore the words of God himself in this letter. So what's the first thing we learn about the gospel in the opening part of this letter? And by the way, if you're feeling a bit warm, you might want to um, open some windows if you're around there. can feel it's getting a bit warm in here as the sun comes up. Well, the first point we, we learn is that the gospel is unique. The gospel is unique. And what is unique about the gospel is that it is all about grace. Have a look at verse 4 and 5 there. Grant brought this out earlier when he's talking to the children, because this is really the gospel in a nutshell. It's within a greeting, but within this greeting is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if we just try and open this, uh, these couple of verses up a little bit, because what we have here is an action, we have a purpose, we have a plan, and we have a result. The action was that Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. To give himself means he sacrificed his life for us. And he did that for our sins. In other words, his sacrifice was a sin offering, a sacrifice by which our sins can be forgiven. They can be dealt with. Later in the letter, in chapter 3, we're told that Christ became a curse for us. He bore, we're told, in his righteous body the curse of judgment, which our sins deserved. He substituted himself for us. Which brings us on to the reason for that. Because once we've understood that Christ gave himself for our sins we begin to realize that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot claim in any way to be righteous. And so the purpose was to rescue us from the present evil age. The gospel is about rescue, it's about freedom. But what are we freed, what are we rescued from? What does he mean here by the present evil age? Well, the age he's talking about is the age we now live in before the return of Jesus Christ. Why is it evil? 
because it's under the effect of sin. We live in a fallen world. All of part of our lives are affected by the fall. Mark and I were away, as we've said, um, this past week at uh, the, count, uh, the Biblical Counseling Conference. And uh, as I said before, it sounds quite grand in many ways, but actually all it is is about applying biblical wisdom to pastor those living in a fallen world, dealing with all the needs and problems that exist in such a fallen world. The organization CCEF have uh, produced a number of little booklets about different problems that people may be facing living in this fallen world. There's a selection of them here on the screen. Uh, They're talking about depression, about social anxiety, restoring a broken marriage, eating disorders, peer pressure, recovery from child abuse, and so on and so on. There are about over a hundred of these booklets. And that just shows the extent of this evil age. But the thing about this, this age is that a lot of these issues of suffering are hidden under what appears on the surface to be enticing and attractive. So the world says, for example, well, make lots of money and buy stuff. Because what comes with that are issues of debt and poverty, maybe gambling addiction, which are all forms of slavery. The world says, Enjoy sex. But again, what comes with that is is the potential for abuse, for for porn addiction, for unwanted unwanted pregnancy, adultery, divorce, etc., etc. The world says work hard and achieve. Gain status for yourself. What comes with that is burnout, redundancy, peer pressure. Jesus came to rescue us from slavery to the present evil age. And where people are living in darkness, he brings light and he brings hope. He points people to the age to come when there will be none of these issues. There will be no no suffering or pain or death. And to be rescued from this evil age is not just to, to look to that time when it will all change, is actually to be able to live in this evil age, knowing the hope that there is to come. And we'll look more about that over the coming weeks. So we have an action, we have a purpose. We also have a plan, according to the will of our God and Father. This makes clear that Jesus' death wasn't an accident. It wasn't something that just happened. It was something that was planned in order to deal with the problem of sin. The gospel was the initiative here of the Father. It was he who sent the Son. It was he who had told in verse 1, who, who raised Jesus from, from the dead. And as he did that, he showed that he actually accepted the work of, of the Son as dealing with the problem of sin, as bringing peace between God and humankind. As to... Those verses, those phrases, the phrase at the beginning of those verses, grace and peace to you. Again, it's a form of greeting, but um, it's the gospel that made it possible for us to have peace with God. Well, one result of um, this plan was peace between God and humankind, but there's an ultimate result as well. And that is it brings glory to God. The gospel is not just all about us. It's actually God who deserves the glory in all things. Everything he does is for his glory. 
And so to show us grace is wonderful for us, isn't it? It brings us peace with God, but also demonstrates the character of God. Let's come on to the second half of our passage, those verses 6 to to 12. As I said earlier, this is where Paul gets quite exercised. But why is he so worked up here? He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now, you may ask yourself, why is it that if you change the gospel, it becomes no gospel at all? Surely it's okay to, to tinker with it a little bit, to maybe interpret it in a slightly different way, have a slightly different understanding. After all, uh, if we think of um, our dog, I haven't brought our dog into illustrations yet, so um, it's about time I did. Our dog Jasper is now six months old, enjoys chewing things. Um, it's not often that this happens, but there happened to be an envelope with some £20 notes lying on the table. Um, jumped up, got hold of this envelope, and began to chew it. Now, by the time he'd finished, the, um, the face of the Queen, I'm sad to say, was a little bit disfigured. I'm sure she wouldn't have appreciated being given that as a birthday gift on her 90th birthday. Um, and as we went to the bank and wondered what they would say about these disfigured uh, £20 notes, they actually said, that's absolutely fine. Um, yes. Queen's face is a little bit um, disfigured, so a little bit chewed up, the note, but we can accept it. It's recognizable. So why, why not the same with the gospel? Why can't we just uh, change a little bit, chew it around a little bit? Well, the reason is because we are saved by grace alone. God called us, it says here, to live in the grace of Christ. We didn't call him. And that is the, the order of salvation. God accepts us despite our lack of anything good in us. And we follow him. If we have to do anything to be saved, then it's no longer grace. The particular thing that was being taught in Galatia at this time was that the new non-Jewish converts still had to keep some of the, the Jewish Old Testament law to be saved. Now that sort of teaching, Paul says, that perverts the gospel. It reverses the gospel because once you start to say to be saved, I need the grace of Christ plus something else, then you make the whole gospel null and void. Tim Keller quotes the um, 16th century reformer Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians. He says, there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. In other words, earning our salvation. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness, but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work, and that will get you nowhere. Now, you might think, well, what Paul is saying about the Old Testament law is actually not particularly relevant to us today anyway. Um, I'm not tempted to go and get circumcised in order to become a Christian, so what is this really uh, all about but are there other teachings around today that may add to the gospel, which may take away from grace? Well, let's just look at um, some possibilities. Obeying the rules. Now, there will be some churches who are quite almost legalistic, who impose rules and regulations about what you can and can't do. 
There's probably not so many of these around today, but I'm sure some of you will have grown up in churches where you were told, actually, you can't go to the cinema. Um, maybe you can't go and listen to certain types of music. Maybe you can't dress in a certain way. Can't go into a pub. Now, these things may not be helpful for Christians to do. Um, but when your identity as a Christian depends on whether or not you do these things, then it's no longer the gospel. Because God loved us when we were still sinners. Another one, level of commitment. There are quite subtle ways in which the gospel is perverted. Let's not assume these are quite outright and we can identify them quickly. Sometimes they're quite subtle. And again, the gospel can be presented in terms of, are we committed enough to be a Christian? I quite like the song, uh, I Surrender All. I'm sure many of you know that, that old hymn. Uh, Because I want to surrender all for Jesus. We want to give up everything for Jesus as a Christian. But whether I surrender all, or 90% or 10%, doesn't determine or not whether I am saved. My salvation depends on if I've accepted that Christ died for my sins. As I then grow in my love for Jesus, I will become more committed to it. I will want to give him more and more of my life. My time, my money, my, my talents. Now the danger of making our level of commitment or service to determine whether or not we are a Christian is what happens when we can't serve at all. When we're maybe no longer able to serve. When we become almost redundant. Does that mean we're less of a Christian? Our membership of the body of Christ doesn't depend on how much we're doing, but on our identity as a child of Christ. Another example of where the gospel can be a little bit distorted is this being good. Where our salvation doesn't depend on what we believe, our faith in Jesus Christ, but on how loving and how good we are. Takes a verse from John 13, um, which is a great verse. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But it takes that verse and makes that verse the gospel. Rather than what Jesus was intending to say, which was to his disciples, that your love for one another will be a sign to others that you are my disciples, that you've received the gift of grace, that you belong to me. Making goodness and love the priority sounds sounds nice. It's tolerant. It avoids disputes about beliefs. But when you consider it more, you soon realize it actually goes against the gospel of grace. If being good enough is okay to make me right with God, then Jesus' death, his gift to me, actually wasn't necessary, was it? It also makes good people think, well, actually, I've got there by my own efforts. And, of course, that leads to pride, which we're told is what the gospel came to deal with. And again, if you think about it, it then also excludes all the bad people. Um, those who simply just can't, by their own effort, be good enough. The Apostle Paul was, by his own admission, the worst of sinners, and yet he was saved by God's grace. Now, none of these false gospels should make us feel, well, it therefore doesn't matter um, how committed I am, how loving or good I am as a Christian. If we are a Christian the Spirit will have so changed our lives that we will want to be loving, we will want to be good. But that's not a criteria we have to fulfill in order to become a Christian. 
We're told in Romans 8 that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if Paul is so concerned, if he's astonished that these Christians are turning to a different gospel, how do we ensure that we don't start to believe a gospel that is a false gospel, maybe without even realizing it? Well, the answer is down in verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The gospel is not what we think is is right. It's not something that we change or adapt according to the, the beliefs of the society around us at any given time. The gospel is not of people. It's what has been received from Jesus Christ. Jesus has revealed the gospel to us. The trouble is we're told that the God of this world has blinded our eyes so we can't see, we can't understand the gospel. And so we need the Spirit to open our eyes. Because Paul has received the gospel, he knows it is of God, he's quite clear here in his warning to those who are preaching a false gospel. He says, let them be accursed, he says. Let them be under God's curse. That is a strong warning. That's not the sort of language that's going to win him any friends, is it, really? But as he says here, if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's not worrying anymore about pleasing people. He's more concerned with pleasing Jesus and protecting Christians from being led astray from Jesus. As we come to to a close, I want to finish with a quote from... uh, Ephesians 2, which um, Simon read out for us earlier on. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We will never be excited. We will never be overwhelmed by God's grace until we appreciate two things. One, that without God's grace, we are lost, we are helpless, we will continue to struggle with all the things that that life throws at us until we die when we will face an eternity without God. And secondly, God does not need us. He did not need to do anything about our situation. And yet he chose to do for his pleasure, for his glory, and because of his great love for us, because of the richness of his mercy. When we grasp those two things, our fallenness, our desperation, and God's great love for us, then hopefully we will grasp the gospel and we will rejoice in it. Do you want to experience the freedom, the joy that comes from receiving God's grace? If so and you haven't done it already, then why not give your life to him now? Why not receive that gift of grace and enjoy that joy? Enjoy that freedom. Don't wait any longer. That may be today that you make that decision. If it is, tell somebody. Come and have a word with myself or Mark, or maybe just tell the person next to you. 
I want to live in the grace of Jesus Christ. If you have accepted God's grace already, then in the coming weeks we will see what difference that makes to our ongoing lives as we continue to walk in the grace of Christ and pray that we're not torn away from the gospel, from the grace of Christ. Let's have a moment now just to quietly um, speak with God, to pray to him about what we've heard this morning. And in a moment I'll, uh, I'll pray. Father God, we thank you that the gospel is all about your grace, your love for us. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. We thank you that if we have received his grace, we have received his freedom. We thank you for the freedom we have to live in Jesus Christ free from the worry, the fear, the guilt of this uh, present evil age and looking forward to the great age to come when he comes again and takes us to be with him. Lord, we so long for all those we know to enjoy that grace for themselves. We pray that you would open their eyes to, to see Christ and to see what he's done for them. In his name we pray. Amen. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. It is grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.